You know, Christmas being the uh, time of year that it is, is pretty amazing. And it's easy for us to get our focus in the wrong direction. In fact, just uh, a little earlier, or last night, Danielle and I were talking about, we're just kind of not feeling Christmassy. You know, there's that hustle and bustle and making sure you got the equal number of gifts for each kid, whether or not the value is... No, I'm just kidding. But really, Christmas is not about us exchanging gifts. It's become that. But it's truly not about that. It's about the birth of this baby. And, and, and I don't know if, if around your guys' house it's, it's this way, but around our house and our extended family, when babies are born, it's a joyous occasion. In fact, two years ago, we had two babies born on the same day, about four days before Christmas. What? What? Three? Daniel? Three years ago. Oh, man. Three years ago. And, it, you know, it's easy to lose track of time because, I mean, babies are amazing, right? But I think part of the reason we get to, we, I think part of the reason we love Christmas is because we get to revisit this babe in a manger. This, this story that we've heard time and time again about this miraculous birth, this strange journey. It's a story that's filled with mystery. It's a story that's filled with miracles. It's a story that's filled, even some would say, with scandal. We like to romanticize the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you've seen pictures of of there's, you know, Mary, very, very pregnant and Joseph walking alongside a donkey and they're making their way. And we don't know exactly what that looked like, but I'm sure it was not nearly the journey that we might imagine it to be. We kind of glance over the lack of hospitality that was found there in Bethlehem when When they couldn't find any place to be and the only place they had was a stable that became a nursery and a crib made out of a manger. But if you think about it, every birth is a beginning. It's a beginning. It's filled with potential. There's this child in front of you and we have no idea what they will become. We dote on babies because of who they are and what we anticipate they'll become and what they will make of the life that they've been given. But one of the beautiful elements about the Christmas story, really not a story about the Christmas celebration, is that we get to look back on Jesus' birth, but also we get to look back on his entire life here on earth. And tonight we're going to look back and we're going to adore. We're going to, ado- we're going to dote on this baby in a manger. Not because he's cute and cuddly and it's idyllic. But we're going to adore him because of who he is. We're going to adore him because he is God incarnate. He is no ordinary child. He didn't have an ordinary conception or birth. In fact, here's a a familiar part of the story that you've heard many, many times. It's from Luke chapter 1, and it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of, the, of, the, of his kingdom there will be no end. And they went back and forth a little bit, and eventually Mary said, okay, let it be. Here's this child who is also God incarnate. In other places, he's given the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He is unique in that his nature is both fully human and fully divine. And we adore him because he is God incarnate, or as we might say, God with skin on. But we also adore him because of what he taught. In fact, we sang about that. Truly, he taught us how to love one another. This baby, he's not even born yet, yet he taught us. In the ancient world, and to some degree even today, when rulers would come, they would have emissaries precede them, and they would go out and they would say, hey, here's all the good things that are going to happen because this new king, this new ruler is in town. And sometimes they would breed, they would, they would preach threats against those who might be enemies. But Jesus and his disciples, when Jesus was an adult, he was preceded by John the Baptist. And then he and his disciples, they went out, and the Bible says in the book of Matthew that he went out through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. But what is this gospel? What is this good news of the kingdom? Some have referred to this kingdom as an upside down kingdom because it's, it's a kingdom that, that, it's a kingdom where humility is honored. In fact, Jesus in his first sermon preached that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not only is, is humility honored, but meekness is revered. And in that same sermon, he said, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. But also this kingdom is a kingdom that that begins small and grows tremendously big. I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus and his ragtag group of 12 guys and a few extra followers. Now Christianity has become arguably the largest faith in the world. In fact, he he said it would do that. And in Matthew 13, he said... Uh, he, he told them a parable saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown larger than all of the garden plants, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. But this is also a kingdom that spans geopolitical boundaries. In fact, in Revelation, we read that after the, the John, the, as he was looking, he said, I, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all peoples and tribes and languages and standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the good news that Jesus taught. It's not 
a kingdom of conquering, but a kingdom of living. But not only do we adore Jesus because of who he is and what he taught, but we, we adore him because of what he did. You know, there's so much in, that Jesus did in his life. He lived out what he taught. He lived that humility and meekness that he communicated to his followers. But he also did some pretty amazing things. And we could think about all the miracles. In fact, next month, we're going to, on Sunday mornings, we're going to begin looking at the book of John. The Gospel of John. In fact, John divides his book into seven sections, looking at the signs or the miracles that Jesus did. But not only did he perform miracles, but he lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. Remember, he was fully human. And sin is something that we all wrestle with. And yet the book of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. But probably his greatest act is the salvation that he offers to you and to me from the cross on Calvary. Jesus, when he was having a conversation with a religious leader, he, he kind of talked about this in advance. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But why? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die? What do we need salvation from? I'm glad you asked. You see, we need salvation from a problem that we all have, and that problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, And fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us. We all do. You see our sin bears with it a consequence. And the Bible tells us that consequence is death. But God in his grace and in his love provided Jesus as a gift of life. Romans Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a demonstration of God's love for us. Romans 5 8 says that, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in sin, Jesus died for us. And so the only thing left is for us then to respond. Romans 10 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And because of that, we have this great assurance. Romans 10, Romans 10 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sin no longer has that bearing on them. And because of that salvation, we get to have peace with God, not just temporary, not just that peace that you hope lasts for a a couple of days, but that peace that's eternal. Romans 5, 8 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now that we have this peace, we have no reason to fear anything. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says that for I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, his saving work on the cross may have only taken a matter of hours. He was up there for some six hours. He was in the grave a few days, grueling hours and gruesome days. But they have eternal consequences or really eternal benefits for you and me if we would trust in him. But we don't only adore Jesus because of what he did in the past. We often look back to the cross. But did you know that he is still working now? The Bible says that we can adore him because of what he is doing now. In fact, he is interceding or mediating or advocating for us. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is to condemn Christ Jesus, though is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding or mediating for us. In John, in one of John's letters, he writes, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If only we would believe. I hope that provides some encouragement for you and for me. I mean, think about this. You have the Son of God next to the throne of God, interceding, advocating on your behalf. I mean, think about this. Every lustful thought, every word that was poorly spoken... Every attitude, every angry outburst, every five-finger discount that made it into your pocket before you left Dollar General. Every time those things happen, Jesus is there saying, hey, I covered that sin. Don't hold that against them. I paid for that. I paid for that. I don't know exactly what that looks like because you have this triune God, this three-in-one Wayne Watson, who was a singer-songwriter back when I was growing up, he described it like rose-colored glasses. And he said, every time that God looks on our sin, he's looking through rose-colored glasses, glasses that have been stained by the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees the payment for our sin. And he's saying, don't hold that against them. I paid for that. And he is working now so we can adore him because of what he's doing now, but also because of what he will do. Just before he died, Jesus told his disciples that, that there would be more. He said that he was returning to the father, but that he would come again. John fourteen two to three says in my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I mean, think about what a reunion that will be for us. But it will be so much more because Jesus' return when he comes back for us is the beginning really of his, of his earthly reign. Revelation talks about the fact that for those whose names are written in the book of life, we will get to be here on earth and reigning with Jesus Christ. And think about this, Revelation 21, 3 to 4, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He will come again. He will reign, but he will also judge. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11, says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. and No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That book of life is a life is a book that we get to have our names in because of what Jesus did on the cross. If we would simply believe. So tonight we adore this baby in a manger. We adore him because his story is amazing. His birth is unlike any other. But he is so much more. We adore him for who he is being God incarnate. We adore him for for what he taught. He taught us how to live and then he showed us. We adore him for what he did, especially what he did on the cross, what he is doing now, interceding for us, advocating for us. We adore him because of what he is going to do in the future when he comes again. We have great hope in that. And so as we adore him, we get to sing. We adore him as we read and study and meditate on his word. And I hope you find that sweet joy. Of, of daily time in God's word. We get to adore him as we live out his kingdom here, living by his kingdom principles and not the principles, not the rights that we think we have here. We get to adore him as we proclaim the good news, why he came, what he, when he's coming again. And so if you've not yet done so, I pray that you would respond to his call for salvation. That would be the best way to adore this baby. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you and praise you for tonight and this time where we can sing, where we can look back and remember, but look forward in hope. Lord, we, we get to see this baby and all the potential that he lived up to. And all that he is continuing to do. So God, I pray that you would help us as your followers, as your people to be faithful to all that you are calling us to. Lord, help us to be witnesses and lights in the world around us. Lord, we may, may we proclaim the good news of your kingdom so that we can one day see that feast together, that time together when people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather around your throne, adoring you. Lord, tonight we continue to adore you and honor you because of Jesus. Amen. Amen.